Good afternoon and welcome to Developing a Go Forward ERP Strategy, a Health System CIO Media Inc. production sponsored by LK. Just a little housekeeping before we get started. My name is Anthony Guerra. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Health System CIO and I'll be your moderator today. We're looking forward to your participation. You can send in your questions or comments at any time in the Q&A box and we'll take those later in the program. Just so you see how we're going to spend our time today, first, we're going to go about 35 to 40 minutes with our main panel discussion featuring Brad Busick, SVP and CIO at Multicare Health Systems, Dr. Zafar Chaudhry, Chief Digital and Information Officer with Seattle Children's, and Gretchen Tegadoff, Regional VP for Strategic Relationships with LK. And then we will have our Q&A. So let's jump right in. Brad, you want to give us an overview of your organization and your role? Yeah, you bet. Good to be with you. Um, so here at Multicare, um, I have the privilege of serving as the Senior Vice President and Chief Information Officer. Uh, it's roughly uh, 500 uh, folks that span everything from uh, biomed and infrastructure uh, all the way to um, change management, communications, applications, disaster recovery, uh, etc. Uh, one of the things that's unique about um, our arm is our uh, Myriad Solutions arm, where we're actually out um, functioning as a uh, reseller of uh, Epic and uh, Workday and ServiceNow and those capabilities um, for other health systems that may not have the, the budget to uh, afford that. And so a uh, really cool, uh, innovative um, time here at Multicare and uh, excited to be with you guys today. Very good, Brad. Thank you. Zafar? Thanks for having me. Hello, everyone. Zafar Chowdhury over at Seattle Children's. The name's pretty obvious. We take care of kids. Uh, covering Washington, Alaska, Montana, and Idaho. And um, I've been here at Children's for five years, and I also have a team of about 500 from clinical engineering through to infrastructure and digital health. Quite an interesting group, and physician informatics as well. Excellent. Gretchen? Everyone, I'm Gretchen Tegatoff, and I'm with LK. LK is a nationwide leader in healthcare connectivity, and we focus in five healthcare segments, including lab, uh, hospitals and health systems, health plans, ambulatory, and health IT vendors. And as the regional vice president of strategic relationships, I work with large health systems on data management needs surrounding growth and EHR and ERP changes. Um, in the areas of legacy data archiving and other interoperability needs. And I'm happy to be here today. Very good, Gretchen. Thank you. All right, Brad, we're going to start with you. Talk about the value that ERP can bring to a health system. How does your organization analyze ERP data to inform strategy? Yeah, we're uh, we're smack in the middle of this uh, right now as we're in the middle of a migration from uh, Lawson over to uh, Workday. And a lot of the work around the ROI for this, uh, of course, uh, everybody wants to ask, well, what's the payback period? Uh, the upshot on this, and we, we have found that, you know, the magic bullet is uh, really optimizing process, meaning we can't bring our old stuff that we did in, you know, 2011 forward into 2020 to 2023. And so we actually looked at this by way of how many steps can we reduce <clears throat> from hire to retire, 
uh, how do we get rid of, you know, a thousand um, job descriptions and job codes? How do we actually pare that down to something meaningful? Um, how do we optimize our supply chain so that we actually have, you know, real-time data without lag? And then obviously on the infrastructure side, um, what does it actually take to keep our uh, current state infrastructure on-prem uh, going, patched, et cetera? And then what's that trade-off for a, a cloud solution? The, the win for us so far in this process, and by the way, we're about six months from uh, going live uh, with our implementation of, of Workday, has really actually been that this was driven by the business. Finance is the one articulating um, that uh, we actually can um, approve POs uh, faster and we get to sunset three different point solutions that currently do that today. Um, or HR is saying, hey, we don't need these two different SMS uh, solutions that we have now, we can actually just take what's out of the box with Workday. And that to me has been a really awesome win, uh, empowering the business to find those as opposed to IT uh, bringing those forward. All that, of course, is aggregated into an overarching ROI. And um, that's what we took to the board to get to approval. Brad, what was IT, was IT part of informing the business of what was out there and saying, hey, here's what you have, here's what's out there, this is something you want to think about, now you decide. And then if you want to do this, we're going to help you put it in. But we're not going to tell you you have to put it in. We're not going to drive this, but we are going to make you aware of it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, from a thought partnership perspective, um, and I, I think this is true for a lot of uh, platforms, um, it doesn't matter if it's you know uh, an Oracle or an SAP or a Workday or a LASA. Everybody's got their, their preferences. Um, what we all agreed on is that we needed something that could actually scale. <clears throat> and so Multicare has a, has a goal of doubling in size in the next five years. And we needed a ERP platform that could actually accommodate that growth. And what we all realized at this point was our current state platform couldn't do that uh, in a meaningful way. And so we went to market together. And so it wasn't IT necessarily uh, mandating anything. Uh, what made it fun is, you know, I have um, really awesome thought partners from the head of HR, head of our amazing supply chain team, and then our, our finance team. And we went together and uh, you know went to RFP and had 100 plus stakeholders involved in this. So um, we were a thought partner and a voice in a, in a much larger choir. Interesting. So a thought partner. That's an interesting way to describe it. Um, Zafar, what are your thoughts? So we're at a slightly different level in our journey. We are also an info loss and version 10 site. And uh, over the last few years, we moved to AWS hosting to stabilize that system. But it's an antiquated system. And when we look at the needs of staff recruitment and retention, the needs for equity, diversity, and inclusion, the information within our current system just isn't where it needs to be. And for us, our approach is different. The um, choice to go to RFP to replace the system, and we just finished that RFP, uh, just finalizing our decision, uh, was purely driven by IT. And so when I came to Children's, my goal was to modernize the systems that really needed modernizing. So we did a Cerna to Epic conversion during the pandemic, and the next big system on my list was ERP. Of course, we have stakeholder buy-in from supply chain, HR, and finance. But what I've learned in the journey here at Children's is it really doesn't matter what system you put in. You know, Brad is absolutely correct. It's for us, we need to fix our antiquated workflows as part of this process. So it's going to be a 
a large transformational project um, with the right levels of support to help the different departments look at how they do things in a different way. And whatever technology we choose is sort of by the by. And so it'd still be, we want it to be operationally led, IT enabled, but as we've learned from our EPIC project, it pretty much becomes IT pushing to get things done because we have timelines, deadlines, financial implications, and that really has an impact. But you have to have the right system to pull the right data to make the right decisions. You have to simplify the recruitment and retention process. You have to simplify the onboarding process. You have to make sure that people have a smooth experience. Most importantly, I have to make sure that people can actually see their paychecks in a mobile world. At present, we can't even do that. So you have to log into multiple systems just to see your paycheck or, or pull down your W-2 or even enter your time that you've spent on a particular project. That's unacceptable in 2022. So we're just at that stage of picking a solution and uh, then we will go into contracting. So we're much further behind than Brad. Uh, Zavar, I'd like to follow up a little bit there. Um, you know, the idea that IT is driving the bus, I mean, from everything I've heard over the last, you know, however many years I've been doing this, that's, I don't know if it's a risky place to be, a scary place to be, a dangerous place to be. It's it's not what you hear a lot. It's it's what you hear that you don't want to be there. So how do you um, sort of accommodate that risk? Uh, well, I think well, I think there's two things to this. Of course, you can't get anything that's done without the right stakeholders around the table. So you have to make sure you you bring those people on the journey. What I've certainly learned in my journey is that, you know, the, the new generation of CIO types is more transformational, right? We're not, we're not selling servers and storage. We're still in a sales job, but now we're selling solutions and we're trying to convince people to join the party. So I think your CIO is still instrumental in having those conversations with the different stakeholders, encouraging them to join. And, and take some level of ownership. But fundamentally, we're still there in the background when things need to get pushed, be pushed and driven, right? Hence why if you look at the reporting relationships, most CIOs now do report to the CEO. We're part of the business. We're not just technologists, right? And so I've always taken that view to say, if something needs to be done, we can be the champions to get people involved. Of course, my team will not be able to deliver every workflow. It has to be done by the subject matter experts. But the subject matter experts, certainly in our organization, haven't changed this system in over 15 years. So there's a level of fear, right? They're, they're afraid of what does this all mean? Because seeing a demo from a vendor makes everything look so sexy and easy. But both Brad and myself know that it's not an easy project, right? It's painful. And I'm sure he would agree that he is in the background there leading the charge to make sure this goes live. Yeah, absolutely. I I might also say, I, you know, the approach Seattle Children's is taking is really more of a testament to 
Zafar and his team um, that they trust IT enough to go be the tip of that uh, spear to go and, and make the change. I um, I don't know that it's risky at all. I actually think it's a it's a nod to the partnership that's already there. That's pretty cool. Gretchen, I'm going to bring you into this discussion uh, as a former CIO. Um, you know, ten years ago, when EMR implementations failed, uh, 10, 12 years ago. The, they put it on the idea that the technology that the the users were not consulted. IT went out and bought something, and you know pushed it on them, and that was part of the reason that things didn't work out. Um, where do you stand, just from a, a leadership point of view, in terms of uh, the role of IT and the CIO, in terms of driving versus supporting, bringing the business along? But Zafar makes a great point. This is a this is a these are systems applications that we're not going to move the business forward right so this needs to change but then you get down nobody wants to change their workflow right nobody wants to do the change so what are your thoughts yeah great question and i i do agree that the cio needs to have a key uh leadership role in a project such as in in erp implementation where i think uh, there needs to be some partnership is with bringing in a, an executive sponsor or maybe a couple executive sponsors that are tied into these major areas that involve that are involved in ERP to help drive some of the changes that are going to happen operationally. In my experience, uh, again, on the, on the provider side, being a former healthcare CIO and implementing an ERP system, that was a key aspect of that implementation is to have someone like, whether it's a CFO or a VP of finance, a head of HR, uh, the amount of change within the organization that an ERP implementation can have, it really stretches across the entire organization and it's changing processes across the board. So I think from a, a CIO can benefit from having that executive sponsorship to help drive the, pro- the project get approvals for the project, really help with that change management aspect across the organization. And Gretchen, what do you see as as, uh, the difference that a modern ERP system can make to a health system? You know, uh, Dr. Chowdhury mentioned the idea of diversity inclusion. It's it's, uh, around hiring and things like that, being able to see paychecks uh, remotely on one's mobile phone and that type of thing. Um, can you function? And Brad talked about wanting to double the size of his health system. Um, can you function as a modern health system with a sort of a uh, an antiquated ERP? I think it can become increasingly difficult if you have an older antiquated ERP system because the what starts to come up is business leaders start to say, you know, I'm trying to forecast, but I don't have this, or I'm trying to run a report so I can see a certain data point, but I I can't seem to get that from this system. And then you're starting to piece together other applications and other data. And for a while, you might be able to get by by doing that. But eventually, um, you might get to the point where that ERP is holding the organization back from getting critical data that they need in order to grow and to plan for the future. So I think one thing that a modern ERP system can bring is one thing that comes to my mind is the ability to gather and report on data in a more cross-departmental way or across the organization in a way that 
older uh, ERP systems might not be able to do because they were a little bit more siloed into whether it's HR or supply or finance. Uh, I think there's there's a lot more that can be done with reporting and analytics with with the newer, more modern systems. Brad, what what are your thoughts around those workflow revisions uh, and getting getting folks to engage on those? Have to have them. I mean, uh, our rule of thumb when we kicked this off was um, if we get to the other end of this tunnel <clears throat> on a really nice, uh, shiny, expensive platform called Workday, and our recruiters are doing the exact same thing they were doing before, uh, then we failed. And so, you know, Zafar mentioned uh, transformation. That's literally what we pushed for. And so the way that we we thought about this work was um, through through really two lenses. If you were to go and measure uh, multi-care's adherence to all workday capacities capabilities, uh, and you had to just you know kind of throw a Harvey ball on that, right? I mean, we're talking like full half quarter. Um, you could actually cut that by HR, finance, and supply chain, and you'd quickly see. Hey, it looks like we actually haven't moved the needle uh, in a you know specific area. Let's just make it up. Let's say it's recruiting or onboarding. Um, why is that? And then the second way we cut that is how does this help or hurt our desire to scale MultiCare's own blueprint? And between those two measures, we quickly um, could assess uh, the areas that we felt like we were bringing the old forward versus where we were actually fully. Uh, transforming those business processes and those workflows. And I knew we were starting to hit some um, some pay dirt when people got really uncomfortable around control. Like, I actually feel like I'm losing control of something that I used to do. Well, you know what? Gretchen doesn't need to go check 14 different things the way she used to do it in 1999. Like today, that's actually automated. And that's, that's honestly been the really cool uh, part about this effort is it's forced us to think differently with some baseline capabilities like mobile. I mean, that's standard. Like I, the fact that we don't have that is it's embarrassing. And so we, we have taken, uh, taken some of those principles like uh, your data when you need it in one spot, uh, mobile and uh, defining and redefining uh, the way that we do our work. Uh, those are the baseline uh, kind of guiding principles for our implementation. And it's uh, so far so, so good. All right, very good. Um, let's talk a little bit about sort of uh, the cloud issues. How compelling is being able to host the ERP with the vendor rather than on-prem? Zafar, your thoughts? So so, so I, I'm pretty clear with my team. We may be an IT shop in a healthcare organization, but we're not in the business of IT, we're in the business of patients. And therefore, that this commodity work that we like to do, which is build data centers and host applications and see lots of flashy lights in a data center is not where we want to be. So we we tend to take these major type applications and host them um, with the in the cloud that the vendor is providing. I mean, we we did the Epic project and it doesn't sit with us. It's in the virtual stream cloud. So ERP, our decision will be to host with the vendor that we choose. Now, it depends whether that vendor's architecture is designed for cloud. Are they providing the hosting? Are they providing the full service? Or are they doing a hybrid type model? Some of the vendors are proposing a private slash public cloud sort of setting. 
so we'll have to see what that technology shows, but we won't be caring and feeding uh, the servers and storage. Somebody else will do that and we'll pay for that service against an SLA that, that is suitable for healthcare. That would be my view. So Zafar, you know, just so I understand, you could you could host something on prem in your data center, which you don't want to do anymore. You could host it with the vendor. You could have Workday host it. They take care of it and everything. Yep. Or you could host it on uh, AWS or any of the big three, where it's your space and you're managing that vendor's application on your space in the public cloud. Are those some of the options? Yes, those are the options. We at Children's don't have any data centers. We closed them down quite a few years ago. Uh, We we use co-location if we are hosting something ourselves. But absolutely, we would prefer at Children's that we buy a fully managed service Mm -hmm. with the hosting. Mm -hmm. uh, And... It then it is then up to the vendor. I wouldn't want to host it in my public cloud space mm-hmm. in AWS and Azure, because then that means I still have to have engineers that have to take care of it, right? right. I don't want to do that. I want an SLA. I want a financial backing guarantee. That's what I want. And will, will is it hard to get the SLAs you want in these contracts? I mean, or do the vendors understand and it's sort of stakes to play what you want? It's still, I'm still finding that even if you look at cloud in general, that most people are only offering a 99.9% uptime. And that's, that's difficult, right? So it's probably easier with a business type system than it is with a clinical system. Because can you imagine an EMR at 99.9%? That means you're already assuming a potential downtime in the year. With ERP, you probably can get by. But what's more important as well is, the RTO and the RPO on the application, right? I actually not only want the system to stay up, but if it does go down, I want a quick recovery time. Mm -hmm. And I also want a quick recovery point, right? Because I don't want to lose three hours worth of data because then I'll have a whole bunch of people having to re-input things. And I want that recovery time to be relatively quick. And what I'm seeing from the different contracts we're looking at, it's variable. Right? People aren't really offering that great you know, recovery time objective. It, it could be anywhere from 8 to 12 hours that you would be without a system, which for us would be two working days. Are these points that, that the vendors are willing to discuss, or is it absolutely here's the contract, sign it, don't sign it? Uh, I think it's variable. I mean, in our discussions, they're reluctant uh, to back you know, to, to, to narrow those windows with financial guarantees, right? Obviously, everybody's trying to de-risk what type of contract they sign. But um, I don't know what Brad's experience has been. I'm sure you will share that, but I found it difficult. Yeah, you and I are in the same <clears throat> boat, not, not surprisingly. Um, I've found that uh, in these conversations with the, the ERP partners, um, it's it's a little bit and can be a little bit of a smoke and mirror game uh, based on the levers you pull. So, for example, if I said, uh, and our premise with with our workday implementation was this, um, I'm not going to sign a three year contract. I'm not even going to sign a five year contract because if I have to remove and rip that ERP system out in the next five years, I've failed as a CIO. I mean, these things should be, 
here seven, nine plus plus years. And one of the interesting challenges in this is the uh, the, the infrastructure of a platform that was born in the cloud uh, versus a platform that was born on-prem that's trying to get to the cloud. And, and that infrastructure makes a difference. And so one of those levers is, is um, to your point, uh, the, the duration of the contract and the willingness to have a financial penalty if that SLA isn't adhered to. Um, we, we agree. We, we don't want to host it. Um, I don't want any part of that on my infrastructure. There's higher value work to go and, and do. The second lever is actually on the implementation, um, meaning you will see uh, these vendors come forward um, and it's not a shot at them. I actually think it's a wise business model. Um, Oracle, SAP, and Workday will all come forward and say, we can actually come and do this direct for you. And oftentimes it's 50% less than uh, the cost of an SI. Sometimes uh, if you have an out-of-the-box implementation, which I've never seen, but if you do, uh, and that actually makes a ton of sense. The interesting part about an out-of-the-box implementation and going direct with the ERP vendor is it's literally a, okay, your tenant is up, go. And then you have to map all your business processes to how that uh, you know, particular platform does um, their financials or payroll or business capital expenditures. And wisely, I, you know, we knew that there was a high level of, um, I'll call it customization and uh, you know, the way we've always done it at Multicare. And I wasn't willing to, to take an out-of-the-box uh, approach with a vendor because I knew we would pay more in change orders than it would cost to actually go with an SI. And so we have configured our Workday tenant to uh, mirror the subject matter expertise, but also be really hard on process. And if we haven't reduced it by half, you know, 50% in steps, then we've, we've failed. And so I've been really, really pleased with that. Excellent. Gretchen, your thoughts. Yeah, I think I think exactly what, what Brad just said is is a really great point when it comes to ERP. You know, it's that it's that delicate balance because if you're if you're investing in this ERP solution and you know that that is meant to bring these efficiencies for your organization and it's meant to reduce redundant, you know, data entry and, and coding and everything like that. And if you're, the challenge is when you're trying to implement that in an organization, there is this fear of, of losing these processes that have been in place for a very long time. So um, to, be, to be thinking about, you know, the right balance of changing your processes to, that, that come with this new system, yet still make it work for your organization, I think is, is the challenge when approaching something like this. But I do, I do agree that uh, it is for many organizations compelling to look um, at the vendor hosting versus versus on-prem. Um, many organizations are, are going through uh, initiatives to you know, reduce their server room footprint, server room optimization projects, and also uh, with resource constraints, um, it makes a lot of sense to move more to a, a cloud-based option of some kind. And Gretchen, you know, what I've heard from both Zafar and Brad is, you know, we're not here to just implement systems. We're here to transform the business. It's not just good enough to roll out a functional working ERP system if nobody uses it or nobody uses it to the degree they should or it doesn't change the business. 
So that's a transformation over the last, you know, three, four, five years and how CIOs think. Will you agree with that? I would say yes, and especially as these systems have become uh, more sophisticated and are really helping the business to grow and plan for the future, uh, I, I think that that's utmost importance. All right, very good. Let's go to our next question. How can, is a good one, how can a health system know if it's ready to take on an ERP migration project? Um, Zafar, let's start with you. Um, it could be a question of we've already got a lot going on, meaning we're doing other things. And so this is a big one and we can't do it right now. Or perhaps you've tried to drive this and you're not feeling the um, you're not feeling the embrace of the business. They're not they're not sounding willing to adjust workflows and they're not up for it. And you're saying I'm not getting enough buy in right now to drive this forward. So other things need to change. But your thoughts about you know, when a system's ready to go. Oh, Anthony, I've been in healthcare a really long time. And anytime you ask someone in healthcare, when's a good time to start a project? <laughs> the answer is never. Because <laughs> we're, we're always burnt out and right. we always have too much work and we never have enough money and we never have enough people. I think if you're about to embark on an enterprise-wide project and you're the champion of that, First thing you have to do, I agree with Gretchen, is you have to go and find those executives that will partner with you, stand stand tall with you, and also hide behind you if things don't go well, right? Uh -huh. <laughs> right, because you're still going to be the person people shoot. But at the same time, I do believe that working in healthcare IT, probably 20% of my job is sales. So whenever I'm doing an enterprise project, I actually go and meet with lots of clinical and non-clinical stakeholders, depending on the type of project. And I try to sell them on why it's so important for us to make this change. And so when you talk to, certainly in our journey, when I've talked to the different stakeholders from different parts of the business, they all agree that they cannot use the current system in its current format to get the information that they need. People want more, want more self-service, they're demanding that. They want to be able to slice and dice their data. They can't do that right now, which means they have to put in a request and wait weeks to get the answer to a simple question. So I think you have to spend some early time, and we did that in parallel with our RFP process, to go and do that sort of sales, talk to people, get them excited. You'll be amazed that when you tell someone they can actually see their paycheck on their phone, how excited people get versus you know you have to log in four times to get there from from a laptop so you do that work in parallel and then you need your executive leadership team in your organization to also back the project your clinical leadership team as well because erps will plug into your clinical systems around the supply chain piece so you're still going to need that so you set up the drivers and once you've set up the drivers then you know you are positioning yourself for success. One of the questions that my board constantly asks me around these projects is, so you want to put in an ERP and you want lots of, you want a really big checkbook to pay for it. When will the project end? And my answer to them is this project will never end, <laughs> right? We will implement it. We will then optimize it. We will then make it better. And over the course, as Brad said, 
you really want this system to be in for 10 plus years, right? Because it's so many zeros in investment. So you'll always be improving. The, the biggest mistake I see people make is they put in the system and we did the same, right? We put in Cerner 15 years ago and then didn't optimize it. And we were still implementing it 15 years later, hmm. right? So we never sweat the assets that we paid for. Same thing will happen with an ERP. You can put in a sexy ERP, but if you're not measuring its utilization, if you're not constantly retraining your people, giving them access to self-service tools so they can really get into the data that they're sitting on, then you won't drive that value. And I think Brad mentioned ROI, right? He's, he's closer to having invested a lot more money than me. The question will be, if that product doesn't get used, then people will moan and complain that, well, why did we do it in the first place, right? And so he's got to still assure that people are actively using it. So I think you do have to keep people engaged. You do have to constantly double check and triple check. And that's why I say the actual software is pretty much people will forget about the fact that there's software there as long as they can do what they need to do. And you've got different use cases, right? This is quite unique because the way supply chain use it versus finance will be different. HR constantly in our organization tells me that, that they're waiting for something to happen because they currently can't do anything with the data that they have. And that is impacting recruitment and retention in a climate where, let's be honest, you know, I'm stealing Brad's people, he's stealing mine, and we're really struggling, right? We, it's it's, it's a difficult place to be right it's now. True. Brad, a uh, couple things there. Um, you know, uh, Zafar talked about making the case uh, for the businesses to embrace a change in ERP. There were some compelling, obviously beneficial things there directly impacting the users. To me, that makes it a bit of an easier sale. Um, could you have a situation where it's more of a behind the scenes benefit, a systemness benefit that people don't see as directly and you get a little more pushback? Yeah, I, I mean, I would I would say that had I brought this forward in 2020 and the, the business case was because uh, I don't want my people to be, you know, patching things and chasing the blinking lights, it, it probably would have fallen on deaf ears. Um, instead, we we put forward our um, finance and supply chain and HR partners and um, between the you know weeping and gnashing of teeth, uh, suddenly there is a really compelling case, but the, the thing that tipped us was the board mandate to go and double in size. And we knew at that point that that infrastructure, um, to, to Zafar's point, on um, both Epic and Workday needed to, to change. And so <clears throat> most organizations will do one or the other uh, in, a, in a year or two. Um, we're, we're doing both right now because we, we have to uh, in order to be able to scale. And we have a really aggressive uh, growth uh, trajectory ahead of us. And so we can't afford to have you know, our advanced competition or our core HR capabilities not be able to hire and onboard people faster. It's just not, it's not an option. The difference in that is that it's not me making that business case. It's my HR business partner. And all I'm doing is enabling her to you know, cut down onboarding from 14 days to two. And that's right. pretty awesome. The financial benefit isn't actually um, in her space. It's the 30 point solutions that I don't have to go and pay for anymore that go away as a result of moving to this uh, integrated system. 
And then you couple that with, yeah, I may not need 10 people to go approve those POs uh, because now we're just using three-point matching and OCR and it's going to do it for us. And those are some of the wins that I think we'll learn about um, over the course of the next uh, year. And I say that knowing that we're going to go live with this in Q1. And then uh, we already have the second work stream mapped out for the remainder of 2023. Why? Because there was new SKUs that were just announced at Workday Rising and things that we um, know we want to have that further put put away point solutions and give us that integrated um, experience. Excellent. Gretchen, your thoughts about uh, how a health system can know if it's ready to take on an ERP project? Yeah, one one area that I think is a good conversation to have when an organization is starting to think about ERP is, is talk about where your data is now and also what all of the processes are around that data. It's amazing once you know, you can have a core ERP system in place today that has been there for a long time. But once you really start to dig into, uh, you know, asking questions and digging into where where really is all of this data, you'd be surprised what starts to uh, come out of those conversations and how people are using data and different systems because, you know, the system, the ERP might have been around for a long time. So now there are all these other and might not be serving all of the needs. Now there's all of these other areas it's bleeding into and all of these other systems that maybe have come into play, spreadsheets maybe that have now uh, been part of this whole process that they've been using for years. So I think having a conversation around where is all the data today, the processes around that, and then uh, also getting ahead of the conversation about what about the legacy data? How are we going to take that forward into a new ERP system and or bring that into something like a legacy system archive so that it is still available for the business to use for various reasons, whether it's compliance, audit, uh, future planning, you know, to have a historical record, employee records that are necessary to take forward. So I think those types of organ those types of conversations can help an organization also assess readiness. Uh, Zafar, where, what are your thoughts around legacy data, the, the issue Gretchen brought up? Um, what what stays, what goes, what gets deleted, that type of thing? So I think that is squarely on the subject matter experts. You have to ask the different departments how much of the data they need to keep for how long. Uh, we did the same with our EMR project. but But one thing is clear, you don't want to take data in a proprietary system and then put it into another proprietary system right because then you you either stuck or you have to pay to exit that so when we moved 15 years worth of cerner data we didn't move it all into epic we only moved the the the, the newest 18 months into epic and the rest actually sits with we use lk's archive mm -hmm. which sits in the cloud and it's built it was built to the specification of our physicians. So we will do the same with our ERP. We've got that in our project plan to say, if, if somebody says we need to keep all the data we have in Lawson, then I'm not gonna port that into a new system which is hosted and I pay for that data storage. Hmm. I'm gonna take the most recent stuff and move it in and all the legacy archive stuff, will we'll just put it in our LK archive and then build a view that people can sign off on, depending on department, and, and make it context-enabled with the interface of the system that we choose. 
And that way, if we ever change systems again, we don't actually have to seek permission because we already have the data. Mm -hmm. Brad? Yeah, spot on. Uh, same philosophy, same approach. Uh, we're also uh, an LK customer, um, and um, it's it's a delight for our physicians. Um, and we we are not bringing old forward if we don't have to. And that's true for processes. That's true for data. That's true for um, frankly philosophy uh, in terms mm -hmm. of how some of this work is done. So that's that's again one of our guiding principles. Very good, uh, Gretchen. Um, hold on one second. This one's for you. What is an enterprise landing page and why would an organization want to consider having it compared to SSO for ERP access? Um, yeah, an, an ELP or an enterprise landing page is really um, a, a good way for accessing legacy data via one area, um, one single area that an end user can go to to access a a number of different legacy data archives at once. So in the cases of an ERP implementation, um, again, back to what I had mentioned about, you might have a core e ERP system, but yet there's these other systems that you also want to retain legacy data from. And an enterprise landing page will allow uh, someone who needs to look up any of that type of information from the legacy systems to come to one link, one URL to access all of that. Um, when it comes to EHR implementations where a new EHR is being put into place and there's a patient context uh, piece to it, that's where SSO integration uh, would allow a link directly into an archive to be accessed. But in, in ERP implementations, enterprise landing page is a, is a pretty common and popular option for able to uh, get to all of that data in one location to streamline uh, the way of accessing it. Very good. All right, uh, Brad, what ERP reporting functionality should a health system consider? Uh, yes, uh, is, is the answer here. Um, <laughs> All of it. What's been, what's been really interesting, uh, and, and Gretchen brought this up, um, part of uh, a process like this is like spring cleaning. You, you get to discover where all the bodies have been buried for the last 15 years, and bringing this into a centralized um, EDW um, is, is preferred, uh, but it's also where some of the pain uh, exists because as you look to standardize, um, let's just say a procure to play, uh, pay uh, workflow, you might find that someone has this little you know, magical access database from the 90s that they're using for price comparison, for example. It's like, well, we don't, we don't need that anymore. Uh, we can actually have an API that goes out to a central uh, database that gives us real-time data, but no one knows about that uh, source of truth for them. And so moving everybody to an enterprise source of truth has been really interesting. One of the challenges uh, in this, Anthony, is um, you actually are watching uh, the vendor landscape move to their own proprietary EDW that is a direct uh, competitor to your own. Mm. It doesn't mean you can't go wrap Power BI around it or Tableau or whatever it is that you want to use for, for visualization. Uh, but the large majority of the large players are actually going with browser-based uh, reporting, um, and it's pretty slick. And so some of the, the trade-offs that you have to um, make are uh, really around data orchestration and uh, the, the cadence for those um, ETLs 
And then more importantly, what are the reporting requirements? So right now, our goal was to go get rid of 50% of our standard reports that no one used, no one touched, and they were one-offs from you know people that have been here for a really long time. So we're um, facilitating an executive reporting uh, workshop um, in December uh, with our CEO council because there's things that they can't get out of Lawson today without a ton of massaging and and you know just wild uh, orchestration behind the scenes that we'll be able to get from workday out of the box. Mm. And so these personas, these stakeholder groups, we have brought forward and said, what are your reporting requirements? All this was done, by the way, before these vendors bid, because I was not going to be held hostage by a, a vendor coming in and saying, well, you didn't tell me you had 300 reports for X and said, no, you actually knew about it. That's what you bid on. If you can help us get there to a lower level, then even better. But um, I wanted everyone to bid eyes wide open. Mm -hmm. And so that's how we thought about uh, reporting. Very good. Can I follow up to that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Gretchen. Then we'll go yeah, to the part. It's, it's for Brad. How do you how do you guide the conversations? Oh. Um, this is again about reporting. How do you how do you guide the conversations when um, maybe as you're having this discussion internally and people are looking at their current reporting capabilities? How do you get them to look further than that? You know, it's very easy when you're going through an implementation to say, this is what I use. This is how I work but you're trying to guide it into maybe a, a, a newer way of thinking about, you know, what types of reports they might need. How do you, how do you go through that, that process? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Gretchen. Uh, this is a little bit surgical. Um, it's one thing to go look at a demo uh, and to Zafar's point, I mean, these are all, it's some cases smoke and mirrors and eye candy, unless you, they really are demoing your own environment because every one of our environments is, is unique and, and different where we have found some incredible uh, fruit has actually been uh, doing what we're doing today. Um, through our uh, integrator, I can pick up the phone and call uh, another CIO or another CFO over at a system that's using Workday, and then they demo their system for us. And suddenly that sparks an incredible uh, amount of conversation, again, facilitated by IT, but led by the business so that we don't end up at the end of this project with. Um, you know, something that like, oh, well, I thought you told us it could do X. Again, had we gone out of the box with any of these vendors, we would have ended up with bare bones. And Multicare is not a bare bones shop. And so we're paying that premium uh, to be able to get it the way that we we want it. And so real time, I mean, we're, we're doing these almost pulse checks with other organizations running Workday um, every six to eight weeks just to pressure check our own implementation. And it's almost a, a health check to say, hey, we're, we're now running into X in this module within Workday. How did you guys overcome this? And so that's that's how we're thinking about it. Zafar, your thoughts? So we will look at our current reports and I agree there's there's so many reports. The question is, do people actually do anything when they look <laughs> read their reports, right? So we're going to look at the report utilization in our existing system as to whether we want to rebuild all of those hundreds of reports. And I agree that you should only build what, what is necessary. But at the same time, there's a, a big shift in self-service. So if you really do have access to the data and the data is in a particular format, you can build views yourself. And 
what we don't want to do is now hire another 10 analysts to support a new product who are simply taking ServiceNow tickets on building new reports. I think you need to empower the end user to who understands their data better than we do to then build those on the fly, build and destroy, build and destroy. So we'll have a core set of reports that all the stakeholders have agreed to by subject matter that will reduce from where we are now. And we can see the utilization. I can say, you know, five or 600 reports, 15% of those reports actually get used. The rest are just sitting there and may get run once every few months. And of course, our folks, they love to take a report and download that data into the dreaded Excel. People love to do that. Then they love to do pivot tables on it. And then it breaks and then they call IT, right? So we also want to move away from that model by providing some more self-service type function. And of course, training will be key, right? I, I will have to deploy analysts to train people to use the tools and also train them to interpret the data. Because the other thing I've always seen is if you show a report to someone and it has a lot of red on it, the, the answer that you get is there's something wrong with the report, <laughs> right? Nobody ever wants to say, oh, I have to change something. It's no, you IT folks, you created the wrong report. So we're going to have to also do some education to get to people, to get people to understand that data and what does it mean? And then what do you do with it? All right, very good. Well, I think we're going to have to go to sort of uh, a last word from everybody. We're, we're almost out of time. Um, your best piece of advice for someone in a comparable sized organization, uh, and then this is framed up for Brad and Zafar, I'll switch it a little for you, Gretchen, but uh, someone in a comparable sized organization, maybe uh, a few months or even a year behind where you are, your best piece of advice. So Brad, let's go to you first. Yeah, I I think our piece of advice is um, slow and steady wins the race uh, on this type of, of effort. Um, we intentionally spent uh, six months in a defined scope of work we call discovery. Uh, and it's analogous to the house inspection, meaning come in and tell me everything I need to know now so that I can prepare uh, before we get started. And uh that has paid dividends uh, given everything that we uh, we found from infrastructure um, all the way to you know to, you know reporting uh, that was going to be a hot spot, and so it forced us to get tight on our own rigor internally and our own inventory so that when we actually started the effort, um, we were ready we were ready to go. Excellent, Zafar. Your best piece of advice for someone about six months behind where you are. So I would say that communication is key. You're going to have to talk to a lot of people in a lot of different departments at different levels. Identify your executives early in the journey. And I would also say target the people in the teams that are the biggest naysayers in your current environment. If you can bring them on board to work through getting to that point of writing an RFP and then selecting a product, you will have more success, right? I don't really want people on my project who are like, oh, this is a great thing. I want people who say, yeah, he's evil. Let's shoot him in the eye because he wants to make us do all this work. And then I want them to partner with me 
because if I can turn them around, then they will get other people turned around, right? And then so that's something you really do need to start early, though, because naysayers do take lots and lots of meetings to convince that it is the right thing to do for the business, right? Ultimately, it's about the health system. Excellent. Gretchen, we'll give you the last word. Your best piece of advice for <coughs> CIOs that are looking at this um, and they feel it can be beneficial to their organizations. And, you know, again, it comes back to that idea of, of thought, you know, Brad used the term thought partnering and, and are we driving? Are we not driving? Are we encouraging and then supporting? What's your best advice? Yeah, I would say, you know, CIOs are in a, in a unique position where in supporting the entire organization, we have a, a, a part of understanding operations across the organization. And with that, I, I think my best piece of advice would be as, as they're approaching any type of ERP changes, um, major upgrades, is to really have the discussions around again, where where all of this data is, how it is being used, and really start to think about. Um, what you need to carry forward as you approach an ERP project and potentially bring in uh, a new vendor and a new solution. Uh, this needs to be done at a very early stage, not as an afterthought or any type of mid-project type of conversation. It's really important to have that uh, as early in the process as possible to set you up for success. So that would be my, um, my advice. Very good. All right. That's about all we had time for today regarding continuing education. You could use the final slide in this deck. You'll get an email when the on-demand recording of this event is ready for viewing. If you want to sponsor an event with us, you can reach out to Nancy Wilcox from our team, and you can go to our website to register for upcoming panels. With that, I want to thank our panel very much. It was a great discussion today. Lots of good information for people. Brad Busick, Dr. Zafar Chaudhry, and Gretchen Tegethoff, I want to thank LK for making the event possible and you for attending. And with that, everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.